You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. You're now tuned into the Pod Awful channel. Pod Awful. Bi-quarterly women's social club. Dazed and convicted. Pool party radio. Showcase. The devil's advocate. The projection booth. Awful flips. Pod Support for the Projection Booth Podcast comes from Stitcher Smart Radio. Now podcast listeners can access the latest episodes of the Projection Booth and thousands of other podcasts on the go without downloading or syncing. Stitcher instantly delivers episodes of your favorite shows to your mobile phone. Stitcher Smart Radio can be found in the iPhone and Android app stores or on the web at stitcher.com slash booth. to start some sort of zombie holocaust. I just want to get back to my girl. She was the one, the girl that you wait your entire life for. Do you love her? Yeah. We're gonna go find that sweet girl of yours. I'm dead. No, no, we have a second chance here. So, what brings you guys out to these parts? The adventure of life, my friend. We're just trying to get home. Do me a favor. When you find this girl, tell her how you feel. I'm, I'm going to. So what's new with you, huh? Me? Oh, nah. Detachable arm. <laughs> Look, I found this. It's my reunion. Ellie will be there. Hey, Mike. It's been a long time. I mean, you look not good. I'm a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Did you run into any old boyfriends? No, he's definitely not here. Let's go. Oh, shit. Here comes Shaft the zombie killer. All right. Finally some action. What's up, the truck? What's up, player? One second, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Know is that my best friend can't give up now after everything we did to get here i've been dead for three years what are we supposed to do visit old friends reconnect with the family ah! you got a girl who loves you you know how rare that is he who dares wins get it Popcorn. Ooh, one of these. Sick or something? Sex. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Rob St. Mary, and joining me, of course, Mr. Mike White. I hear that brains taste like chicken. Could be kind of interesting with barbecue sauce. And joining us this week is author Jamie Russell. Hi there. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming on. This week, we're talking about Deadheads, the 2011 Zom rom-com from writers-directors, the Pierce Brothers. The film follows two newly revived and rather talkative zombies named Mike and Brett. See, 
they've been dead about three years, and Mike was just about to propose to his girl when, bam, he was killed. The pair are trying to get from Colorado to Michigan, where Mike's lady, Ellie, has been living, and to see if there's still something in her for this man that's now three years in the grave. Along the way, the pair pick up a mute zombie named Cheese, meet an assorted group of goons working for a company, trying to keep all this undead outbreak business a big secret. And that just scratches the surface. So, Jamie, as our guest, we'll start with you. What was your experience seeing deadheads, and what did you think? Um, I thought it was great fun, actually. Um, I'm always very wary when someone tells me about a zombie comedy, because um, I think the whole Zomcom thing is very hard to do well and actually um, satisfy kind of uh, deadhead purists and also um, also satisfy people who are just looking for a good comedy. But this I thought was great. I mean, this was I, I described this to people as being if, if John Hughes had made a zombie movie, it would probably end up looking like this, I think. It's very much about that kind of body comedy, and um, it's very charming and endearing at the same time, as well as having you know intestines being pulled out and stuff like that, which you always want. Exactly, you know, you're watching a zombie movie. We need some, we need some gut munching. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mike, what did you think? Oh, I loved it. I um, saw this one a few months ago. I've had it on my Netflix queue for a long time. I think you brought this up to me, probably gosh, a year or more ago. And I've been working at where I've been working for two years now. I just had my second anniversary. And the guy who is in charge of the um, contract workers, which I am, he's an actor. And he happened to mention that he was in this film. So it was kind of a small world thing between you recommending the film, me having it on my Netflix queue, and then this guy saying, oh, yeah, I'm in that movie. I'm even on the back of the DVD. So it was a, a fun coincidence there, and it's a very fun film, too. I saw it. I can't believe it's still a Netflix instant because it just seems that stuff turns over so fast in there. You put something in your queue, and then it disappears a couple of months later. But this one's been in there for at least a year, and I think that was when I brought it up to you. It was before, actually, I left Michigan. And I knew that it was a film, actually, that two friends of mine had done, the Pierce Brothers, who I worked with at the Legendary Thomas video. And you'll hear more about our discussion on that when we have the interview with them. And um, I, I was kind of, well, you know, when, when I approached it, I was like, can I turn off the fact that I know them and, and enjoy it? And to be honest, it's like if, if I saw this and I didn't know them, I still would like it. You know, because sometimes when you see something that you know the people who created it, you, you you know, put your thumb on the scale and give it a little more weight. And uh, you don't have to do this with this. I mean, I think they just did an amazing job. Beautiful, low-budget film. It looks great. Uh, I think all the performances are really good. And it balances really well, like Jamie, you were saying, in terms of, you know, you have the comedy and you have the gore, but it's not like one really overpowers the other. And specifically when we talk about horror, I mean, it's really hard to balance horror and comedy together. And I think they do a really nice job with it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, if you look at something like Shaun of the Dead, I mean, that must be the kind of template, I think, for the whole Zomcom thing. And this is a movie, this is a movie that follows very much in its footsteps while doing very much its, its own its own thing. I mean, there's some really inventive and clever stuff here. Um, the scene, one of the scenes that I, I like most of all is um, a scene w- which is a siege, which is like everyone realizes that there's zombies and they're kind of barricading themselves in this bar. And the, the two um, protagonists here who are zombies but are still able to talk and everything are in, inside the siege with everyone and trying not to be noticed and, you know, ha- helping to, to nail up the, the doors and hammer the wood against the windows and everything um, while trying to pass as being as being alive and human. Wait! Wait, wait, wait. We don't want to hurt anybody. No. 
We're just trying to get home. That's it. We don't even know how we got here. We just want to go home, please. I've seen an awful lot of zombie movies and to, to find clever moments like that is always is always wonderful to see something you're like I've never seen that before this is great you know and it's just little things like that I think that for from a zombie fan perspective it's just like okay this movie's good fun yeah it was nice to see them kind of turn the tables I, I really did like that part where it's seeing the inside of the siege from the zombies point of view <laughs> and, and them you know uh, trying to keep their secret and that little kid that is trying to point them out and how they have to take care of him and everything so there are a lot of really good moments in this film and luckily they all add up to a a really good whole and i was kind of afraid too to kind of go back a little bit the hearing that this was you know your friends had made this rob and and knowing that one of my coworkers was in it and everything i was just like what if i don't like it what if i you know is it going to be that low budget i mean because people talk about low budget films and you just immediately get this picture in your mind and luckily deadheads just surpass that completely and especially when we talk about low budget michigan film and i'm sure that it's regional no matter where you are if you're in the uk if you're in baltimore boston Portland, Oregon. There are people who are doing films in your town and they'll get a lot of attention. They'll, you know, they'll get people to come out and see it much like, you know, people came out to see my little vampire film 15 odd years ago or more. And, and that's really cool. It's really cool to have that. But the question is, is does it move from beyond, I guess, maybe bar band status to actually being a player? Like you're actually making a film that people who aren't, connected to you either because they know you or because it's like local civic pride are really going to enjoy and i have to say with deadheads not for a second i mean as soon as you watch it like the first couple of minutes you know that these guys are playing on that level they're playing on that really high professional level and not for a minute do you go oh i'm going to give this a pass because i happen to know these people or because it was made in michigan exactly i mean this is out there for me i mean there are clips in the film from the evil dead so you've got that nice like connection between the michigan filmmakers and everything but this really is kind of one of those evil dead films where you're like okay this was made by you know lower budget filmmakers who are on that same level i would say this even kind of surpasses evil dead as far as what we expect out of films today, Deadheads is giving us. It has that production quality. And really, one of the things that it has that I think a lot of lower-budget films miss is that it has the quality of the writing and it has the quality of the acting. Because if you get a bad actor in one of these films, everything is just going to sound hollow or wrong. And this one, the leads are strong and all the supporting players are strong as well. And they really need to be, too, because, you know, this is a real kind of classic buddy movie in many ways. I mean, you've got these two guys, one's uptight, one's a bit more of a loose cannon. Um, So you have that element of kind of antagonism. And yet underneath, they're slowly learning to care for each other and look after each other and kind of see each other through. So if if the two leads didn't work, um, the movie would fall apart. But they work so brilliantly. There's such a great on-screen chemistry between these two guys. I mean, this is a bromance, really, I think, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, that's what this movie is. These These two guys go off on a road trip and they kind of you know learn how to be uh, best friends and that's just really endearing and the movie draws you into that and i can't believe how much i care for cheese as we go through this come here boy morning sunshine what the fuck is that that that's cheese it's, it's cheese okay um what's he doing here teaching him to play fetch 
like that. Why would you do that? He showed up once he fell asleep last night. Probably followed us home from the bar. Check out what else he can do. Over here, buddy. Come here. At first, I wasn't sure if this character was just going to be around for like a scene or two, but then he ends up being in the you know in the entire rest of the film almost. And I really did care about Cheese. And when he would show up, it was like, "Yay, go Cheese!" You know, <laughs> when he's fighting against uh, McDinkle, the one of the uh, government guys that's coming after him, who's just like got all these great one-liners and everything, but he's just a complete asshole. It's like, oh man, you know, what's going to happen with this? And when she shows up, it's like, all right. And I'm like pulling and cheering for these guys. So I was very emotionally invested in this film. <laughs> the cheese character to me, what it reminded me of is, um, is like Karloff's Frankenstein monster where, you know, he's a mute, he's lumbering, but you get this feeling of, um, of connection to him that there's this goodness. There's like this emotional core with him. He reminded me kind of, of, uh, is the character's name bub or bud from uh, day of the dead, the zombie who's kind of able to learn things. I always picture him with the headphones on and everything. So he's kind of in that quasi state where he's not quite brainless, but he's got a little bit there and you really start to pull for him as the movie goes on. I think you care for these that kind of that kind of zombie you kind of care for because they seem so childlike and innocent. I mean, it's you know it's a kind of oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms, really, to imagine a zombie like that. But it's a bit like um, Billy Connolly in Fido as well. Um, uh, he's kind of like the pet zombie, and you know he never speaks, and yet you feel that emotional connection to him because you you you're aware that underneath there there's there's a bit of humanity left. The range of the characters, as you were saying, it's sort of this odd couple. You know, where you have Mike, who's the uptight one, and Brett, the one who's kind of loose and, you know, caffeinated, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> lack of a better term. What, you think Barney fucking Fife is going to help us? We're zombies, dude! No, 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 no. We're not zombies, okay? Oh. I'm not a zombie. You're not a zombie. You're suffering from post-traumatical delusional stuff, and we need help! Well, we can help each other out by getting out of this hole. I don't want your help. And then you have the various ones. And one of the ones that, that you brought up is one of the G-Men. There's always um, the, the, the two guys who are in, like, the Devo toxic waste outfits, the yellow, and the, the guy with the beard and everything. He's got his acting in here. When I first saw the film, I thought, uh, he's playing it a little too big. But there's something about that sort of like, really like, hey, bro. So what time do you asshole fucktards think you'll be ready? Over. Because I already got mine bagged and tagged. And I think I got time for a little nappy poo while you two pussies are busy getting your dicks kicked in. Over. That just adds something to it. Like, all of these various characters are, are very... um. They're, they're, they're kind of archetypes in a way, you know, and I, and I think they do really nice, uh, really nice job with it in terms of the range of the various um, various people. And then not only that, but for some reason, the um, the father character who who we learn is the the head of this company that's trying to keep the zombie plague uh, under wraps is really menacing. Although he's not really in it all that much. Yeah, and I like the ex-con character or the sorry the convict character who seems to be kind of taking that role of um oh help me out with the actor here Dwayne oh the guy from the original Night of the Living Dead yeah Dwayne Jones uh, yes yes okay he seems to be kind of taking that Dwayne Jones role especially in that opening scene you know he's one of the few African-American guys that's there uh, or people of color I should say that's there and then um 
you know, you think like, oh, well, this guy's going to be a big hero, and then he ends up being uh, this convict, and they're using him, and he ends up being really vicious, but there is kind of a change of heart, not to give anything away. So I enjoy his character. I mean, it's such a – at first it seems like it's going to be a spotlight, and then he moves to the side, and then he comes – back into the spotlight again towards the end it's like oh this is really nice the way that they are using these characters in different roles and just kind of giving them um not the expected amount of screen time which i appreciated as well i think the just the whole idea of having a nod back to Dwayne jones in the original i mean there's a line when they're in the bar as well that kind of um that uh echoes that as uh, as well about um about him that's from the anyone who's seen the original night of the living dead will remember the line at the very end um and i i think that it's, it's very much it's very this is very much a movie that's made by people who understand not only the horror genre but also the zombie genre i think very much so and what's really interesting what i love about deadheads and it's one of several movies i think around about the same time that started doing this was very much a movie that's from the zombies point of view and up until that point there hadn't been that many movies that had kind of been doing that that i mean there were a few but all of a sudden you have all these films and you I mean, I guess the most famous example a couple of years later or a year later is um, is Warm Bodies, you know, so that the zombie perspective on these things. And that's what I think Deadhead, the, the nice what makes it so interesting is that it puts that novel spin on the on the genre and says, OK, this is a this is a movie in which it's a standard zombie movie, but we're twisting point of view and perspective so that it's completely the opposite from how you'd normally experience a movie like this. Well, one of the things I think is interesting with, as you were saying, the ex-con character is that you have him, I, I think in a way, at least this is my sort of read of it, that he understands the plight of the downtrodden or those who are on the outside, the fringe. And I guess these two guys who are intelligent zombies would represent the extreme fringe in a lot of ways. <laughs> and sort of how this guy who's an ex-con and also, as you said, a, a person of color would go, yeah, I think I can help you out because you know what? As a black man in America, I understand what you're going through. Although he doesn't say that. That's sort of the, I guess, the subtext that I got. I was afraid for a little while that Ross Kidder, the guy that plays the Brent character, that he was going to be a little too annoying. Um, there were times where I was like, oh, man, this because this could turn into fanboys, that movie, so easily because he's making the pop culture references. They're on the road trip and everything. And so I was like, oh, God, I hope it doesn't go that way. But luckily, he's annoying in just the right way he's the the as you were saying the overly caffeinated the manic character and he's pushing the other character who is too much in his rut pushing him into doing you know better and bigger and better things so i'm glad that he was there and i was glad that he knew when to pull back and it wasn't just this stream of pop culture references and him just acting goofy it's tricky to do that right, isn't it? You know, the minute the minute yeah. you start referencing pop culture stuff, you just you you have to be very confident that you have the skill to pull that off. Otherwise, it does just sound like, yeah, as you said, like the fanboys kind of thing. You just kind of get lost in this self-referential kind of circle, just going round and round, and inevitably you end up referencing better movies. You know, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, talking about pop culture references, one of the things I loved in this one of the scenes is the intestines scene, which which really is 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 actually a very funny riff on indiana jones and his whip 
you know, I don't know if you picked up on that, but I mean, that's basically what it is. They're in the van and there's, um, I think it's Mike, isn't it? Who's hanging on to um, Cheese's intestines as they're unraveling and the van is pulling off and it's pulling him along the ground. And that's basically Indiana Jones with his whip, you know, holding on to the back of the truck or whatever it is, being pulled along. And it's just like, how smart is that to, to sneak, a, you know, because I think you could easily watch that scene and, and maybe not click. And the first time I saw it, it didn't occur to me. And it was when I was rewatching it. I was like, oh, of course, that's what this is referencing. I don't know. That's, that takes a certain smartness. I wish, I wish more zombie filmmakers were as smart as these guys are. The other character who's in there is the Cliff character, who's the older gentleman who picks them up and, and drives them around. And, and, and what I really like about him is that, in a way, he sort of helps to mirror the plot because you have Mike who's trying to get back to his girl, and then you have Cliff whose wife has just died. So he's having this conversation with him about how, you know, this guy's come back to life to get his girl. And then this guy who now his girl is dead. So there's sort of this um, mirroring of sort of both ends of the romance, you know, sort of the, um, the, the early grand days and then sort of what happens after your wife dies. This girl. Yeah. Ellie. <laughs> Hopeless romanticism. It's the downfall of every great man. <laughs> Do me a favor, Shakespeare. When you find this uh, Ellie, tell her how you feel. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to. No. Yeah. No, no. Tell her. There's still this heart to it in, um, in, in how they relate to this uh, th- together both of them relate to their various romances he may know that they're zombies somewhere in his heart but he really doesn't seem to care or realize it as we're going through the film it's just like he's he becomes their buddy you know he's, he picks him up and off they go he, he kind of reminded me of the old man character that was in of all things bubble boy uh who had lost his love and was talking about that so i was it, it was nice to see him talking about his wife in this way. And then also you get some very uh, beautiful shots of Michigan as he's going to the seaside or to the lakeside, I should say. And that's one of the things that I like about this too, is that even though it's shot in Michigan and there are certain things, if you grow up around Southeast Michigan and the Detroit area, you might be able to pick out, like you might be able to pick out the high school is the old Dondero high school in in Royal Oak, which, um, Glenn Fry, one of the Eagles, went to. That's part of his claim to fame. But um, it, it's his claim to fame, or the high school's, the high school's claim, to claim to fame. <laughs> I, I would like to say his because I hate the Eagles, man. Jesus, man, could you change the channel? Fuck you, man! If you don't like my fucking music, get your own fucking cab. I had a really. I'll pull up to the side and kick your ass out. Man, come on! I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking Eagles, man. But uh, <laughs> but um. The the thing is, is they don't go for the obvious in here in terms of the locations. Like it could be really easy to go, hey, here's an iconic Michigan image. Here's another iconic Michigan image. But no, it it looks like it could have been shot anywhere and everywhere. And I think that adds a certain element to people. It doesn't pull you out in that way um, because it really could be everywhere everywhere look here's a giant tire yeah exactly or, <laughs> or shoot downtown here's the rensen here's uh you know like I can, I can think of like probably 20 different things that you could shoot in michigan that would be total giveaways total tells 
and they don't do that. And I thought that was a really nice choice. And in speaking of images, I mean, the look of the film is amazing. I mean, this thing is lit really well, shot really well. I mean, it's it's paced really well. The editing's really nice. So I mean, it's it's there. Yeah, I was reminded a little bit while I was watching this one that the guy who plays um, Brent, the Ross Kidder character, while I was watching him, I was really reminded of another film, another zombie film called The Revenant. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but he really reminded me of Chris Wilde, the, this, um, I guess you would call him a comedian slash character actor. He shows up uh, on occasion. He even showed up once on like a trading spaces or one of these kind of reality shows. It's like, I know that dude, but um, yeah, I was, it was nice to see deadheads and to hold it up to that same kind of quality because it reminded me also a little bit of like steak land and um, is it? Yeah. Steak land. Right. And, and zombie land. Um, so it's right there with these uh, independent e. I don't know if if Zombieland could be considered independent, but uh, smaller budgeted, let's say, zombie films that really just um, and it, it holds its own. Um, it carries its own weight as we're going through with this. I think the Revenant is a good um, uh, a good comparison actually because it has the same um, kind of buddy comedy thing. I mean, that's it's got the U.S. soldier who's kind of um, killed in Iraq and comes back to life and ends up going out with his buddy to become this kind of vigilante um, kind of zombie vampire kind of thing. And it's a little bit like um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen an old seventies zombie movie called Death Dream, um, The Night Andy Came Home by Bob Clark. But it's that was about a Vietnam veteran coming back and, and kind of you know coming back as a zombie. Um, once he shipped back to the US. Um, and The Revenant has that kind of thing, but turns it into much more of a buddy comedy, a, a lot like Deadheads, actually. And it has a brilliant, the, I can't give it away, but it has a fantastic final scene that um, uh, probably Don Chaney would um, would think was great. <laughs> but um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, worth, um, it's worth checking out as zombie comedies go. We're going to take a break and play an interview with the writers and directors of Deadheads, the Pierce brothers, after these important messages. Hey, Iris, you know what we should do? We should try to get Fred Olin Ray on the show. Why would he want to come on our show? Hi, this is Fred Olin Ray, and you're listening to the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count podcast. Okay, what about Olaf Ittenbach, Germany's Splatter King? Uh, that'd be great, but I doubt he speaks any English. I'm Olaf Ittenbach, and you're listening to the Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count podcast. What about the director of Blood Sucking Freaks? Joel M. Reed. Isn't he dead? This is Joel M. Reed, and you're listening to Badass Boobs and Body Counts Podcast. No, Iris, he's not. Hello, I'm Mike, host to the Badass Boobs and Body Counts Podcast. And I'm Iris, co-host of the Badass Boobs and Body Counts Podcast. Every week in High Iris discuss lesser-known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. Mike and I discuss films like The Black Godfather, The Beast That Killed Women, and Biozombie, to name just a few. And every now and then, we get to speak with the people behind all the films we love to talk about. Okay, how about this, Mike? Let's get Andy Sidaris on the show and talk girls, guns, and G-strings. Um, yeah, RSD's actually really dead, but we did manage to talk to his wife, Arlene, way back in episode 20. Well, I suppose that's the next best thing. Yeah, I suppose so. So the Badasses Boobs and Body Counts podcast can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher's Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. Just search for the BB&BC podcast to start listening today. You can also visit the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Okay, Iris, did you keep track of the boob and body counts on the film we're discussing next week? Uh, no, I thought you were doing that this week. 
No, I'm no, I no, uh-uh. no. I've seen this. Uh, boy, no, it we're was have, you. It was you. Uh, look, from now on, let's both do that. Okay, that sounds good. If you listen to Proudly Resents the Cold Movie Podcast, you would know how to properly crush a head. But let's say you want to crush a head like Toxic Avenger or the yeah. famous full head crushing scene. You take a cantaloupe carve out the inside then you load what we call loading the cantaloupe we used to put in hamburger mixed with cranberry sauce but now because i'm a vegetarian it's only cranberry and spaghetti and things that are not animal then you put a wig on the cantaloupe and paint a little happy face bingo that was lloyd kaufman from trauma films to hear more interviews and reviews go to proudlyresents.com or find proudly resents on iTunes and Stitcher. You know, I was looking for a little excitement, but I was worried about privacy. And then I found out about Vibrators.com. Vibrators.com has the perfect products for women and men and couples. They have helpful suggestions and information on how to make sure you get something just right for you. Plus, for over a decade, Vibrators.com has never played around with your privacy. While other .coms make their money by selling your information, Vibrators.com never has and never will. And when you use the special code BOOTH, that's B-O-O-T-H, at checkout, you'll receive free priority shipping on any order. That's Vibrators.com. Get a little excitement in your life. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, (laughs) horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one That is one star too many. <laughs> Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, God. Ah. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. Uh, I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. When and where did this idea come from for Deadheads? How did it develop for you guys? I was actually, I was working at a horror, like, horror film company they were going to produce some uh, a couple of semi-low budget horror movies and drew and i were trying to come up with a concept that we could pitch to them and i, I was essentially like a production assistant kind of type thing uh because we were hoping they might you know they were, they were doing stuff that was low budget enough that they were taking risks on guys that hadn't really made anything before so i think drew just said he wanted to do a buddy zombie movie and then i was just like hey let's combine it with a love story kind of type thing and that that's kind of where it got started so <laughs> One thing that I like about the film is there's like there's different levels of being zombies in terms of intelligence. Where did that concept come from? Uh, <laughs> it's a funny one. I don't know. I think that was something we were paranoid about the entire time making it. Like, what's 
you're not only about like what are the other zombies like what what is like the world like you know um but it's also one of those things like in the story because we were making a comedy we didn't want to spend a a lot of time like addressing that yeah we were um, like we just have to make them smart zombies quick enough so they can actually talk then we can do jokes with them so we were like strangely enough it was like let's come up with the you know the the smallest excuse to get away with it and just kind of run with it but we were like if as long as we kind of we felt like we could make it justified as long as they were like teamed up with another zombie that couldn't talk that we but somehow we still magically we actually take a lot of crap from zombie fans about it all time but it's it's pretty funny how well it's kind of cool people are very impassioned about zombie movies so like literally we had somebody at a festival we were we went to a festival in london called fright fest and this guy you know overall really good response to the movie but this one guy stands up in the middle of it was like a 1300 seat theater and it was full and he's just <laughs> mad at us that the zombies were talking <laughs> initially we actually had this yeah. huge sequence at the beginning of the movie we just it was kind of something we want I, I don't think we necessarily needed it but it was basically to explain even more like why there's smart zombies and why there's dumb zombies and you know like yeah kind of and we actually had like deal. dialogue that addressed it more in the script but then when <laughs> we went to go sh- we shot it that way and then we were cutting it and one thing drew and i learned most probably making a feature is we were like you know when people talk too much it gets really boring really fast so it's like that dialogue got, got cut out, so we actually had to shoot an additional scene that like addressed it. And after we'd shot the movie, we did an edit, and we went, we shot this one other scene where there's this zombie that's revived. Well, you guys have seen the movie. He's revived on the table, and it shows that he can talk all of a sudden, and they, they, they put him down. And that was literally just because we had cut the stuff earlier in the movie just because we didn't think it was entertaining enough, and we were like, we have to make a scene that explains it, though, and at least try to make it as entertaining as possible. So. I guess maybe that's one of the um, things when it comes to this being a genre. I mean, when we talk about zombies, it's like people are like, oh, well, you know, there's a certain way to do things, and there's a certain sort of, I don't want to say religious dogma, but there, you know, it's like, well, if it's not like Romero did it, then I guess it's not a zombie film, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's strange. Like, I mean, you you get a lot of that because there's 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 like four zombie movies that everybody loves, and they compare. I mean, basically, if you make a zombie comedy. You're compared to Shaun of the Dead, which is you know fine and perfect. Shaun of the Dead's a, a fantastic movie, you know, but it's uh, you know they either they either love you or they completely hate you. It's never like yeah, it was okay. Well, well I, thought, was I thought it was hilarious when like <laughs> yeah. 28 Days Later came out <laughs> like yeah. a whole long time ago, and people just hated it. You know? Yeah, they're just yeah. like that's not you know. And I was like, oh, this is a really super innovative zombie film, and now now that's kind of like one of the ones everybody likes. I've so. heard that Romero like he just. He doesn't like any other zombie movies. He's he basically his point is that he's like I was making a statement on like the culture and society. Yeah, and everybody else is just making these stupid horror movies. <laughs> I mean, it's not. That was, that Thank was you, George cool. Romero. I know. <laughs> With the name Deadheads, did anybody ever think that this was a movie about Grateful Dead fans? Oh, all the time. And we we had the debate when we were locking down on the title um, a bunch. Um, but Drew and I. Yeah, you know, we we kind of argued back and forth, and some people would mention that to us, and we were kept, we uh, we eventually kind of decided just not to worry about because we liked the title so much because we were like, oh, it's about guys, you know, um, hitchhiking across zombies hitchhiking across country to find a girl that's deadheading, kind of like trying to get a free ride, and we didn't want to call it like the of the dead movie because like every movie there's like bong of the dead and whatever of the dead, and it just goes on and on, and but we just wanted to have something that was different. Um, 
So we were concerned about it. But if anything, I would just joke around and say probably more people have watched it by accident. Yeah. So I so, don't mind. <laughs> so many people told us to like just rename it like Zombie Road Trip or you know, yeah. something like that. But yeah. I don't know. We just didn't want to put zombie in the title. And then our, uh, our sales agent uh, in the U.S. was really happy because it started with the letter D, which is early in the alphabet. So that means – like all the digital stuff like Netflix and all that you get earlier. It shows up early. Actually, you know what all this is for? It's video on demand. It shows up so, earlier on video on demand, so people tend to buy it more. <laughs> Something so, we learned. That's why you see a lot of movies now that are like 418 zombie killer. Yeah. It's because numbers <laughs> come first <laughs> on your VOD. <laughs> well, speaking of the production of it, uh, yeah. how long did it take you guys to raise the funds and find people to back you to do it? Um, it was about a year and a half of just begging for money. We would take people to dinner and just kind of give them the passionate rundown of why we wanted to do it and what we were doing. Um, it was, I mean, it was, at first it was really, really tough cause nobody likes asking for money, especially for something. Cause you always have to, if you're, if you're, if you're a fair filmmaker, you always have to end the conversation with, there's a good chance you're never going to get any of this money ever back, you know? So you have to end the conversation with that. But I mean, the real trick is, is that there's people are, they respond to passion more than they do anything. Mm -hmm. Like we went in with like a business plan. We tried to be as organized as possible. And, and we realized as soon as we started talking business, people get bored. So your best bet was to like hand them the packet with all the you know specific numbers and details and then just tell them why exactly you want to make this movie and why it's the only thing you've ever want to do. And it's, it's going to be, you know, we're going to put everything we got into it just so you know, we're going to take your money and we're going to, we're going to try to build like our dream with it and make something you're proud of, you know? <laughs> I, I think the, I mean, that's something filmmakers try and are always trying to figure out how to just you know, raise money, especially indie filmmakers. And I think that's the, that's the big difference. That's what we realized going in is, uh, you have to put together like all the tax stuff, like a big packet basically with like pictures of like all the successful movies that are kind of similar to your genre and what, what they paid out and how, you know, like basically, and then like obviously all the structure for your movie and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think, uh, like all our filmmaker friends and when we were growing up, we tried to get money from people and we would just go in and chat with them. But it's so much better if you have like a yeah takeaway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Just, it's like, tricky. It's just you know everyone asks us now after doing it like how did you get the money to do it, and it's this. It's really just like you just have to start asking people for money, and you start with people you know, and you move on from there. And that's really there's no because and everyone's like oh, but I can't do that. I'm like you have to because that's the only way to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's no good way to do it. It's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the things too, I mean, beyond you guys having a script or an idea is that I know that Drew, you, you draw quite a bit. So I'm sure you had something to show them like, look, here's what the characters look like. Here's, yeah, you know, we did some, and I don't know if we put them in the packet or not, but we did we some did. like conceptual stuff. Um, just like sketches of some of the characters. I think we did for like the lead characters. There, I think we had a sequence or two storyboarded too, just to show an example of a sequence. Cause and to show the Drew is a storyboard artist so that we're not just like, you know, running out in the field with the camera and shooting things unplanned, you know, kind of type thing. Yeah, honestly, for our next one, we'll, I'll probably wind up doing a lot more of that. We'll probably do a bunch of, like, the main sequences. Yeah, main sequences. about stuff. A lot of conceptual gonna... art. Because, honestly, we've realized a lot of – that. that's what people get. Lots of times people don't read your script. They just – they they read your synopsis and listen to you and check out anything cool you have like a reel. That's what so. I always heard about Cameron. Actually, is that he he would do, for Terminator and all every single one of his movies he goes in with like 
a, do- a dozen of his own like sketches and stuff. Yeah, that's how he initially you know kind of got his work as a director. Yeah, a lot of guys out here. I mean, it's pretty standard. There's all these screeners out here that write a screenplay and then they have a, they hire a comic book artist to do a graphic novel, even if it doesn't get published. Just because when they go into these pitch meetings, they hand over the graphic novel and that's what they get excited about because they can kind of visually have a representation mm-hmm. of what the movie's going to be. Once you got your funding locked down, what was the schedule like? How long did it take to shoot and to put together after it was done? We sh- Well, I mean, we we went back like in May and we were we were it was us two and one other producer that were like doing so we, pre-production. We had we had no <laughs> yeah. crew and we had a lot of work to do. So we went back, I think it was like 7 months in advance because we were going to post up at my our parents' house. <laughs> Yeah. And make that like our production office essentially. So we we went to our parents' house. Got, I think we drove thir- like straight we drove from California, yeah, straight through thirty something hours, and then we uh, basically ripped out all their furniture out of their living room and tacked up dry erase boards. <laughs> made production it our, office. <laughs> made it our war room. <laughs> and for uh, and we called in you know our friends and anybody that would basically help. Yeah. But we had uh, we basically spent like six or seven months kind of. Not only assembling like the production team, but like getting uh, props and stuff for Which the movie. Which included and, uh, we dumpster dive and props. We were always costumes. Like, we drive down the street and we see a dumpster, <laughs> and we're like, "Hey, we can go in there and get some props." <laughs> yeah, and just we slowly yeah. kind of built up all the people and kind of ironed out our schedule. And yeah, every yeah. single day we just we had you know we had this we had like three giant dry erase boards and we'd have like our tasks like what do we got to still get done yeah and we had like accumulated a whole garage full of like you know uh set dressings for each location and we were crossing off because we were at the same time we were location scouts <laughs> for yeah. our own movie so we're driving all over michigan just looking at you know we had like tw- 20 locations how many like locations four it was like 20 something locations so like we'd i, I mean i spent like three, four weeks, just we'd, we'd drive and like, oh, that looks like a cool house. Let's walk up to it and ask them if they want us to, if they'll let us shoot, shoot a movie zombie here. movie here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was initially, we started shooting like in late summer and the initial plan is Drew and I, you know, having zero experience plotting out a full length feature shooting schedule, just said we'd do it. And we planned a five week shoot with shooting for six days a week. So it was like a little over a month. And uh, which was stupid. We realized why most movies shoot five days a week instead of six because you end up working those other days anyway. So we were exhausted. But we shot five weeks and realized we'd only shot maybe about like 55, 60 percent of the movie. So we last minute had to shut down for like 12 days, raise money and beg for it. And we came back and we shot another like four weeks straight after that. Mm-hmm. So I, in the end, it ended up being like nine weeks of actual shooting. And then we cut the movie, which took like six to eight months. And then we came back and we shot for another week to do pickups to kind of fix the edit. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 it ate easily just going back to start production. It, it devoured about a year and a half of our lives. So, yeah. <laughs> so is it all Michigan with Michigan crew and cast or how did you put it together? Um, we had, uh, we did casting out here in LA, but a lot of the people in the movie were people we'd known for years and years who were from Michigan originally and had moved here. They had been in shorts and stuff we'd done back home, even going all the way back to kind of high school days. Um, 
the and it just kind of turned out like the yeah you know, the main lead actor Mike McKitty is a good friend of ours. He's a good actor and he's been out here for years just like us. But he's from Michigan. Um, we spotted him like ten years ago when we shot this movie called Secrets of Fenville with all of our friends that we showed at the main art theater. And we just cherry picked him from that. We kind of always said we were going to put him in something because we thought he was so good. Yeah, our, our yeah. goal was kind of to cast like the leads anywhere. We didn't care if they came from New Zealand, <laughs> but we like yeah. we like the, they just both happened to be <clears throat> Michigan boys. But uh, we did a lot of casting all over California. We did I don't even know how many sessions. Here. Yeah, I mean we did some back in Michigan for smaller and parts, a bunch yeah. in Michigan. But the goal yeah. the goal was basically we want ideally we wanted to cast as many of the smaller parts in Michigan. Like if it was like one or two days, we didn't want to have to be flying people out. Yeah, um, and, and we found and some really good people. Actually, I mean like stuff. the 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 older gentleman Harry Berkey that plays Cliff. He was just a find out of Michigan. He'd really only done like some theater back in Michigan. I think actually he teaches yeah, theater back in Michigan. Awesome. And he was he was amazing for us. So <laughs> tell me about the guy who played the cop. Oh, uh, Jamie Wheatley. Jamie Wheatley. <laughs> he he was a Michigan find. He, he he lives in Royal Oak, I think, actually still. But um, he uh, he was a funny guy. He just kind of like he came in, and I, the only thing that doesn't make sense in the movie that I always we just liked him because he fit the part and he was funny. But he's kind of got like this New York New Jer- New Jersey accent. Which I don't know why he's a cop like out in the middle of Colorado <laughs> in the movie or whatever it is, but but um he was great. He came in um and you know it's weird because you do auditions and he actually had lines, but you, you make him do his lines like as the cop and they're like, all right, give me your best zombie. So somebody comes at you like ah you know it's like it's a weird thing to kind of direct somebody through, but um he was great. He was kind of you know he had a lot of fun. He was like totally. Uh, he was totally down for it. And it was kind of a tough shoot for him because we, you know, we put contacts in your eyes and you can't really see anything. And we had to kind of like choreograph this fight sequence with him. So he's doing it all blind and, you know, our, our, it's, it's just really awkward. And he's, he's a really short guy and he needed to jump on the back of this main character, McDinkle, who's like a foot and a half shorter than him. So it was just like a series of like, weird problems to try to figure that yeah every scene, scene was out. a nightmare yeah. for him <laughs> yeah 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 but he was like su- super trooper i mean he just kind of like hung in there for everything he was totally all about it and i think our, our, our other actor ben uh, webster who played big t- tall guy mcdiggle he was getting a little exhausted because he wears that that yellow big yellow suit there's literally no air gets in and out of that thing so he would open up the sleeve and sweat would just like pour out in rivlets kind of up thing <laughs> so he was dying that day because you know he literally has this this like little man riding his back for like two hours and just dying out in the heat. <laughs> when it came to director, did you guys each handle like a particular job? Like one worked on the visual while the other did performances or how did that kind of work? We kind of just bounce. It's, it's kind of whoever has a better feeling for the scene. We actually write that way too. It's, it's whoever really, I guess knows what they want. <laughs> you know, we usually uh, like a lot of times um, when somebody would like do a performance or something like uh We'd kind of quickly, like, kind of talk over what we thought, and then we'd send one of us to kind of be the ambassador, basically talk to the actor. Um, it, it got really funny because sometimes both of us would pop up and say the same note to our actors. <laughs> like, it is a joke. They, they're always <laughs> like, they're like, oh, the Pierce brothers. It's like it's like this weird mindthism. It's like they they say the same thing to me and don't realize it, kind of yeah. thing. But we don't really divide it up because I guess we never we're never we're always pretty much at the same spot, I think, in what we want when we're there. Well, by then you so, spent seven months together in yeah. like a small space and we've talked about the script to death because we yeah. wrote it and we, you know, we kind of have the same page and, you know, I did uh, 
like kind of rough storyboards in advance so we'd talk about the shots and all yeah. that. Yeah, do a so. shot list every day. Um, Drew always had boards for the scene that we'd done. Sometimes we'd have to throw those boards out because the, the location maybe didn't allow for it or we were just they – were, like, they were maybe too ambitious for the – because we, we storyboard this – amazing Spielberg-esque camera moving movie through like the whole thing. And then you get there and you realize what tools you have and you're kind of like, Oh, well that, that, that's like 50 setups today. Um, but when we move our fastest, we get to about 25, <laughs> you know, kind of type thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're good at dividing it up. There was never really any fights with us. And I mean, we never got complaints from, you know, crew or cast. Cause they always seemed to think that we always, well, they at least were under the impression that we always were on the same page and we knew what was going on. So, <laughs> so we left a good impression. One of the locations I wanted to ask you about is uh, you guys both grew up in Royal Oak, and the one building, was it? did you guys shoot at Don Darrow, or was that some building that kind of looks like it? No, it's Don Darrow. I mean, that was one of the scariest parts. We uh, <laughs> we wheeled in a bunch of, because we have all the uh, rad suits, we wheeled in a bunch of like fake prop guns. And uh, we're, you know, of them were fake. <laughs> That's the other thing. In, in hindsight, a couple of them were I mean, fake. growing up and going to Don Darrow, we yeah. made a million shorts and different stuff there, and like the one thing you get in so much trouble for us just having any kind of prop gun anything on we yeah. could we could never shoot shorts with guns basically when we were at school yeah and we were just like this is gonna be a nightmare if I but we didn't get bothered at all i mean we, we got, got yeah we got cleared with the school and we, we i mean you go through all these things that you don't realize you have to we had to like flyer the neighborhood beforehand like a day before to let them know we were going to be there um and you know just kind of go through all the steps you know you talk to the police and all that stuff and honestly that was one of the few places we didn't have a problem with like somebody coming up to us or police showing up or attempting to kick us off the location for some reason or another, which on going into it, I thought it was going to be the wor- one of the worst situations, mm-hmm. but we were, we were there shooting through the middle of the night, like a good three nights in a row um, outside with giant zombie, you know, fighting somebody and throwing them around. Um, so yeah, it was fun. I mean, we, we really kind of wanted to, as much as we could get away with it, we wanted to put things in there like our old high school. We both went there. A lot of the people that were even in the movie went to that high school. Um, so it was, you know, anytime we could kind of work in something local that we grew up around, we, we did it. So. <laughs> I, uh, throughout watching the movie, I kept trying to figure out what is that shirt that Brent is wearing? Oh. <laughs> We had, we had a friend it's, make it for us, actually. Oh, it's our favorite. We almost want to print up some more. But it, it's – we had this friend, uh, this friend of ours, Aldrin, who he's, – he's like an artist. We were just like, hey, you want to design us some like kind of goofy, iconic T-shirts? Um, mostly he was going to design us like ones for like rednecks like in the bar. Yeah, like, yeah. Stupid T-shirts to throw on people like with logos because we were like, we, you know, it would be fun to put some random stuff. And he did this like uh, graphic representation of like – a man basically having sex with a sheep. <laughs> it it kind of looks like a like if it was a a street sign that like indicated so. Yeah, here's where people fuck sheep. So yeah, because it was like a stick figure guy and like a puffy little white sheep. Yeah, so. we just we just thought it was so funny that we were like, that's totally what Brent would put on his shirt. Yeah, you can barely see it in the movie. There's probably only yeah. a couple of frames where yeah. you see. But I remember like when we saw it, we were both like, that is that's going to be Brent's t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is that became yeah. like our crew logo and. Yeah. Our, our poor mom, like everybody got crew t-shirts and she was at the uh, grocery store after the, we made the movie and she's got this big sheep fucker logo on her back. She didn't realize what it was. <laughs> she, somebody pointed it out to her in the, uh, the, the, the grocery, grocery store. store. <laughs> what is that on your shirt? <laughs> oh, that goes over big in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. yeah it's fantastic. But, you know, it's a good shirt. <laughs> 
I was going to ask about the use of Evil Dead. Uh, how did you guys get the clip for that? We went over a bunch of ideas. Like we were thinking about putting one of our old, really terrible movies we made in high school on the screen, but we we're like, that doesn't make sense or anything like that. And one of us said, hey, let's try to get Evil Dead. It'd be cool if we could use our dad's uh, effect sequence from Evil Dead. And, you know, we were like, hey, we'll just check into it. So I, uh, I literally, we were on set shooting at the bar, which was really miserable. And I just, I called Sam's office, uh, Sam Raimi's office, just to see if I could get through to him. And um, I, I make a call and uh, they transfer me. But they actually thought I, I was my dad. So he answers the phone like, hi, Bart. How are you? Blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's, it's Brett. It's not Bart. And I told him what we needed. I said we were shooting a movie. It was our first film, all the stuff. And we just needed a few clips of Evil Dead because we wanted to play at a drive-in. And he was super cool about it. I, I mean, it was like one of the quickest conversations I ever had. He's like, he just said, hey, pick like three five-second clips. Tell me which ones you want and uh, just send over what you want and I'll get it done. And he did, which I will be eternally grateful for because we, mm. yeah, I, I, I don't think it's usually that easy. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds super easy, and for those yeah. who don't know, and I've talked to you about this before uh, when yeah. we used to work at the video store, is that family connection. I was wondering if you can explain that for folks who are fans of Evil Dead. Uh, Drew and I, uh, when we grew up, we were kids. Uh, our, our childhood house in Detroit got invaded by the crew of Evil Dead. They had gone down to Tennessee to shoot Evil Dead and finished, and they had come back. They didn't have a lot of effects done in the film, so they did a lot of pickup shots over the course, I think, of, over a summer. I can't remember when it was. But so they basically our house became like the production studio for the special effects. Our father was the special effects artist. Well, one of the two special effects artists that helped finish all the effects over that course of time. So we kind of we got to be around this crazy, weird production of all these college students making Evil Dead for like three months. So uh, that's our, our, our loose connection. But I mean, it was funny. With Very like, loose because I think I was a baby. Yeah, yeah, Drew <laughs> yeah. was really little. I, I was, I was yeah, I, I didn't impression. like going in the basement because I thought it was terrifying because there was all this gore and dead body stuff down there. But um, so, yeah, I, we just kind of – I hadn't talked to Sam in like – I don't know, like eight years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that was like the just a blind phone call, and he was totally cool and remembered us. So, but I mean, that was always just a huge inspiration because when we were kids, like every so often, not only was our dad and his friends, they'd be shooting stuff at his uh, his house occasionally, like those shorts and different stuff. But um, I, I remember a couple times we'd go and stop by whatever like Sam was working on. Um, like we went, I think we went to the set when they were shooting like dark man or something. They were shooting pickups in a room. Do you remember that? Oh, no, no, that was, um, that was evil dead too. But I mean, it was just such a, I mean, that was just so exciting when we were little kids just walking onto a set and being like, what are they doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. I mean, we got, it, that it, was evil dead too. That, that was evil dead too. Really? No, no. Yeah. Cause they had built the, the interior of the cabin inside the gym. I think we're like really okay yeah. maybe it was a different movie but maybe it was the same gym i don't know i can't remember <laughs> but um but yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's cool do you think that that's where you guys got bit by the film bug and then sort of what advice did you get from those guys as you were going on to make this feature well we famously with, oh. with our friends uh actually we, bruce we used to like one. meet up with bruce campbell all the time and he would just uh, try and light a fire under our ass. He'd always like tell us like you know what we had to do, like move to L.A. or get this thing going, or yeah. you had to have all your scripts written. Like you know? you're never gonna have enough money, just go shoot it. And he, uh, yeah. <laughs> one time, we were ta- kind of talking about like when we might move to L.A. and what we were gonna hopefully do. And he just he pounded the table <laughs> and said, "He who dare, oh no, 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 no." He said, "Time, time waits for no man." <laughs> And we just, uh, I mean, we were quoting that for like a year and a half 
you yeah. know, you know, when we were moving out to LA and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think we were bit by. We the, actually put the line in the movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Brent says it. Uh, the 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 goofier zombie of the two at one moment. And we were just like we figured out a way to put it in because it's kind of been the the credo the whole time. He who dares wins. Like everyone else started picking up on it too. Our producers and everybody. So it, it's it's kind of. It's what motivates us when we both feel like we've started to be lacking and or being lazy. We're like, yeah. hey, time waits for no man. It's, it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, it's great when you have somebody that's in the business, you know, has been doing stuff for a while to say like, you guys can do this. This is this is just what you do, you know, and it, you know, it just makes it more real. So that helped. But I mean, we were bit by the film bug when we were probably little kids because um, just our dad, he worked for CBS Fox and we'd always go. Well, it was like a, a video transfer company <clears throat> for 20th Century Fox. But he was, you know, when we were little kids, he was the guy that transferred like Star Wars and stuff. So, I mean, it's not like the most exciting process, process transferring stuff, but we'd always uh, get like the, when video VHS first came out, we had like Star Wars before anybody else, you know? Yeah. yeah like, and, I remember being so excited because we got Return of the Jedi and hadn't come out on video yet. Yeah. So we, I mean, we'd invite like, <laughs> you know, 20 kids from our block to come over and watch Star Wars at our place. So obviously that's just like, you know, <laughs> like as a kid, you're just like, this is awesome. Yeah. And we just watched like dad would bring home movies on VHS constantly. So Drew and I just watched movies with him constantly. And then, you know, I mean, we wore t- our Indiana Jones movies out to death and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever we had. So we just <laughs> kind of became, we've all, so we were always just kind of obsessed with movies that way. And then our dad moved out to California because our parents were divorced and we'd visit him every summer and just, we'd, I mean, we'd go see sometimes like three movies a day. It was yeah. kind of insane. And it was cool too. Cause like dad was working at a studio at the time and like he would, he would take us to things that were like, I remember going to see in this, we were going to this big theater and we're kids and they were uh, editing alien three on this big screen. With, and I think David Fincher was there. I wouldn't have even known it back then. I know. As a kid. <laughs> and like uh, the editor, Terry Rawlings, who edited the first alien. I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you guys about was kind of the tone of the film. You know, it's so hard to balance comedy and horror. Do you, did you have, uh, kind of precautions about going too far with the gore or going too far with the laughs or how was that creating that balance? Yeah, we didn't want, we drew the line at shooting a kid in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we were always paranoid about it a little bit because uh, we didn't know every, and you kind of realize this, like when you finish a movie, like everybody la- starts laughing at a different point. Like, do they, when, when do you actually tell people that a movie's a comedy and that it's okay to laugh? Because that's, that's the most important thing. I don't think, I don't think there's any boundaries you can, like, I mean, South Park has proven that. And I mean, a lot of other stuff, like, like ridiculous humor and even gore for a lot of movies. I don't think. Yeah. Well, and we also knew like the type of movie that we were making, it was like, you're either going to be down for that type of sense of humor or where it's going, or you're not going to be at all. So you might as well completely embrace it and go for it. Um, I mean, one of the nice things for us about making the movie is we weren't answering to anybody but ourselves. And there's kind of a bad, I see it as kind of a bad way of thinking out here at least that I've run into with filmmakers and stuff is everybody's you do eventually have to think about how am I going to sell this movie because somebody's got to buy it so people can see it but I think a lot of people spend too much time in the creative process thinking about that and they stagnate good ideas or they like uh, they just don't do something just because they they you know they think maybe for some reason that's going to hurt them selling to Germany or something like that but it's um 
it's not, it's just one of those things. It's not really worth thinking about it when you're excited and your blood's all about being creative and you're having fun doing it. It's like, you know, think about it later in the edit. Cause you can always cut something out. You can always, you know, change something just enough where maybe it, it doesn't come across as rough, but it still accomplishes what you want. So I was going to ask you about smush, the comedy short you guys did related to deadheads. And to me, it sort of seems like maybe it was a scene that got cut or it's a sort of a scene that takes place at the same time. Everything's taking place in the film. It was, we yeah. kind of, we were just kind of, there was a festival we had gone to with Deadheads called Fright Fest over in the UK, which is a blast. So if you guys can go, you got to go to it sometime. It's one of the best fests I've ever been to. Um, the guys that run it are just amazing and they, they have a lot of good films and it's just a lot of fun. But um, we had, uh, they had asked us if we had anything to show at the festival. And obviously it was a year later. We didn't have another movie, but we we're like, hey, we could shoot you guys, we could shoot a short if you guys want to show a short because we'd seen them showing shorts from some other filmmakers when we were there the year previous. Um, but so we just kind of came up with it just because I think honestly, everybody loved the character cheese that, that that's honestly probably been our biggest success from movies. We always get, even if people aren't nuts about the movie, they like cheese. It's kind of hard to not like the puppy in a way. So we were just kind of, we didn't want to do like a continuation of the story and we wanted to make something that was stood on its own. Like you could watch it and have seen deadheads or not seen deadheads. Um, so we just said, Hey, I want to bring cheese back cause I miss him. He was a lot of fun. Um, and we can tell this short little, we just wanted to come up with what's the most simple little goofy story we can tell with him that takes place like the night he ran into Mike and Brent before he, well, before he ran into them at the bar kind of type thing. So after seeing the short and the film, um, I was wondering, are you thinking there might be a sequel or has Deadheads played out? I don't know. I mean, Brett, we, we, I we've always idea. joked about sequels. I think <laughs> yeah. you always joke about sequels. I don't know if we'd ever make a sequel to Deadheads though. Brett wanted to do a Christmas movie for a while. I, I want to do a Deadheads Christmas movie. I, I want zombies <laughs> at Christmas with Santa hats and sleds. And, you know. I feel like like uh, Deadheads is kind of it's a uh, it's its own world, but it's a little bit of a parody. It's kind of playing off of all the tropes of zombie movies, you know, all the fun kind of things. And like I, whenever you make a sequel to like something that's sort of a little bit of a parody, even it gets sillier with every generation. Like you have to go bigger and sillier. And that's like, I think that's the one thing that I guess I'd be worried about there being like a sequel to it. But I mean, we've talked about it. Um, Yeah. Well, I just think the thing for us, I guess, is like, you know, we like stuff that we like characters to have at least like the thing we're working on right now, where we're very concerned with uh, character development. And I think if we were going to make a second deadheads, it wouldn't be about getting sillier and goofier. We could kind of stay where we're at with that level. I think we just have to find that like thoroughfare because what we kind of liked is we got to put kind of a heartfelt story interweaved with this, all this ridiculousness. So if we could figure out another good heartfelt story, which we kind of have one that I really like, that's, it's about the other, it's about the other zombie, the, the, the blonde one, Brent, uh, about him trying to finding out he had a son he didn't know about and trying to get to him on Christmas. So it's got a semi-similar kind of setup and Mike having to help him get to him and stuff. So it's another kind of road trippy kind of type thing. Um, but that's what I'd like to do. <laughs> you talked a bit about uh, your dad's influence on you guys in terms of bringing home the videos and stuff like that. And I worked with both of you guys at, and I you don't use this word lightly, legendary Thomas Video. And <laughs> was was wondering uh, what Thomas Video meant to you, you know, both working there and maybe how it helped you as filmmakers. I mean, for me, it broadened my horizons a ton. I there was a lot of stuff like I. I was re- my dad raised us on Spielberg and George Lucas, and that's not a bad thing. I the you know Spielberg's my favorite filmmaker, you know, and stuff. But um, 
when I got the Thomas video, what was great about it, it was between Jim and Gary, the owners, and just all the guys that worked there, is everybody had a different taste and different flavor of type of things they liked. And, and I got recommendations left and right. So I got introduced to Spaghetti Westerns and Fellini and, you know, anime and blah, blah, blah. And like every every kind of form of film I was introduced to in a short period of time, and I just ate it all up. And I mean, it's one of the... You actually, the funny thing is you find out a lot of filmmakers like my age or younger or a little older, a lot of them worked at video stores <laughs> and stuff. And there's a reason. It's just you, you kind of soak it all up. I mean, it's the same thing. I think if um, – I think honestly they are saying like how do you – people always want to know like how people become filmmakers or learn. I think you just rewatch your favorite things over and over again until you kind of learn how somebody else did it. You know, And, and that's kind of what Tom's video helped with me too. So, But yeah, it was uh, – it was an eye opener. I'm so glad I worked there. It was a blast too. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, same here. We just get exposed to so many different types of movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just we I would. There's tons of things I probably would have never even watched if it wasn't for the guys I worked with there, who just would you know say, "Hey, take this home. It's really cool." And I'd watch. I'd be like, "That's amazing." You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we talked a little bit at the top and about this, but you guys now live in the, I guess, the capital of all things film. Have you been able to find a store that rivals Thomas Video? <laughs> I don't, no. you know, I've heard that there was a store here that was very much like Thomas Video. Like, that's the one that ta- they used to always talk about. There was one in North Hollywood, and I forget what it was called. It was, like, called Ed Richardson's or but something they were, like that. They were, yeah. like, the, had the second most, like, yeah. Laserdiscs at some point, and were yeah. close to the VHS collection. Yeah. They were still keeping it going. Well, but- I, I stopped by there once, and they were a little, they were a little janky though because like uh they, they had a lot of like duplicated tapes from television and stuff <laughs> oh. so it was really funny like you go in and i'm like how do they keep this place open how have they not been shut down because majority of what's in here is like bootlegged That's <laughs> so, funny. it was pretty funny but um no i mean honestly thomas video has never been rivaled at least for me for anywhere i've gone out here um and i mean it sucks now too i miss video stores man they, they yeah they, you know I mean, they, they barely exist out here it's like there's a few mom and pop places here and there but, like, I mean, the, the chains are all gone, which is fine, but I haven't missed the chains at this point because, like, you know, Redbox machine at the grocery store just ain't cutting it. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's There's, like, an exciting factor to going to the video store to pick out a movie with your, like, friends or family or whatever, you know, yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. just hitting, like, buy on iTunes for 99 cents. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the technology of it all. And it's kind of cool because, honestly, in a lot of ways, our movie has been watched uh, you know, significantly more because of things like Netflix. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't get as many eyes on it as we have, but at the same time, I missed the video store because I just feel like all the choices disappeared. <laughs> you talked a little bit about some of your influences and favorite filmmakers and all that. When it came to kind of diving into the zombie world, who did you see as your influences for that? Probably our biggest. I mean, Honestly, it's not even exactly – and this goes back to what we grew up on. It was Evil Dead. I mean as much as it's kind of a zombie movie to us at least, you know, in the depiction of the demons and stuff like that. But um, I mean that's what it was for us. We were definitely inspired by the Shaun of the Dead guys. Yeah, I mean, Shaun of the Dead, yeah. evil, probably Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 a lot. Yeah, was, evil, yeah. And inspiration even though we did, we're not, we're not kind of in those veins at all. But those are probably the two of the movies that we just – Yeah, I mean what was actually really inspirational was a number of years back, Drew and I, when we were still in Michigan – we got to go to a screening of Shaun of the Dead when they were uh, they were the Edgar Wright and the two lead actors were traveling with it, and we got to go see it and the, it, the loved the movie. We were crazy about the movie and then it ended, but then they they spoke to the audience for about a half hour afterwards, 
And it was just super inspiring. And that was when they were like super excited and they're like, and nobody had seen the movie. Yeah. They're essentially nobody's over here. Yeah. They they were just like, yeah, we're, we're going to LA next. We're, uh, we get to meet, they were like super excited because Edgar Wright's a huge Sam Raimi fan. He's like, yeah, we're going to go meet Sam like next week. Like I can't wait. I'm freaking out. And you know, he just seemed like this young guy, like, you know, made his first big movie, you know, already. I think one of us too, I just remember one of us like leaning over like, we got to make a movie. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's that. I mean, it's just uh, things that inspire me. It's like movies inspire me for sure. But sometimes when you just see – it's something you see at the festivals too when you go. You see these people that like – they have that ho- hollowed out look in their eyes like you do because you just finished your movie. You don't know how you're paying to be here and you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of you're kind of going all over the place. But when you hear them talk about their movie and how much they put into it, it's you know, it's the same thing that like I think why we were able to raise money is you can hear the passion. You're either like, I want to join their team and mm-hmm. support this movie, you know, so – well, you talked a little bit about a couple of different scripts and ideas, but I was going to ask, what's uh, the next thing on the burner for you guys? We're working on a scary witch movie yep. called Hag. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of Michigan accent in there, Hag. Hag. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> um, uh, we, uh, we just we, – um, we feel like there's never been a really good, like, definitive witch movie. I mean, aside from, like, Rosemary's Baby, which really doesn't have a witch necessarily in it. It's witchy elements. Um, but I love that movie. Yeah. Um, but we want to – we kind of want to define the witch because we just don't feel like there's – you know, it's a totally different genre from uh, <laughs> Dead Heads. Yeah. But yeah. we, we kind of want to do like – we're gonna we're, it's going to be a straight horror. I'm sure there will be like some levity, but yeah, it's uh, – it's, yeah. it's very much – I mean Drew and I just kind of wanted to – you know, we're, we're, we're hoping to get more resources this time than we had before and we kind of want to up our game in the visual storytelling department with things it's, we really want to do that we weren't maybe able to afford to do. It's kind of a suspense, like, you know, like movie sort of like rear window, like kind of a Hitchcock kind of thing where he sees basically, you know, this woman next door kind of doing creepy stuff and investigates. Yeah. yeah. It's it's one of those things we want to create like paranoia and suspense. We're kind of like interested in pulling that off because, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I actually feel that horror filmmakers kind of, uh, get the short end of the stick in the respect department because it actually is really hard to create tension and scare people. And there's a lot of terrible horror movies, but in general, I feel like they get kind of dismissed um, pretty quickly just because they're horror films, you know, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's just a, it's going to be, I hope it's going to be really, really scary. That's our goal is to kind of really, really actually scare people and kind of, if we get, if we pull off what we want to pull off, like Drew said, it's going to be hopefully a very, uh, unique new take on the witch. So, has Deadheads offered you an opportunity to get the resources together to do that? I think it will help us just with um, you know getting funding and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we don't have somebody that that uh, is outright just saying, "Here, here's all the money. Go make whatever you want." But I think, I mean, you know, it, having a movie that you know has played a billion festivals and is you know play it still plays on Showtime all the time, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> and Netflix yeah. and stuff. Um, I, I mean, we're definitely, we have a reputation this time as opposed to zero reputation. And we, we have had, you know, we've had people uh, talk to, like we've been, we've taken meetings where people have tried to get us to direct a script that they have and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, in the case of those, we weren't too big fans of the scripts that we were, were kind of brought to us, but it has created that thing where people are, there's been people that are interested, like, Hey, if you guys are going to make another film, please talk to me, you know, kind of type thing. So that's what we're, uh, we're going to move into that stage hopefully in the next month, month and a half. I think half. it's going to be a lot easier for us than it was with Deadheads. <laughs> that's what you're saying. No. Now we have the experience. I mean, I'm, I work as a, you know, a storyboard artist. I've been doing that like consistently for like years, which is a huge bonus. And, uh, 
Brett uh, is a since he works as a production coordinator. We kind of have you know a lot of experience. I think, yeah, actually. Yeah, I mean it's it's just one of those that. things. We learned so many things that we did badly the last time in a way. Like you trip up. I mean it's good. You kind of just have to go do it to learn a lot of those things. Um, but we've kind of come out of it with like you know good crew we can pull from everywhere and just having a better understanding of how to put it together. But I think at the same time, Drew and I from the going through and writing a script and then editing it and, and basically sitting through every portion of its, you know, babying it all the way to the end have kind of, I think we've become much better filmmakers and writers than we were. So we're kind of excited to, you know, use what we've learned to make a better film, I guess. So <laughs> sounds good. Is there any place uh, people can go to keep up with uh, what you guys are doing or the films? Um, probably the best bet right now is just go to the Deadheads Facebook page because that's the mm-hmm. only thing we've been updating lately. I mean, we'll create a Facebook page for the next movie probably in the near future, but I don't know exactly when yet. But um, yeah, just that we'll probably I mean, it's be updating. just Facebook and then it's like the slash Deadheads. Right? Yeah, yeah, just look up the Deadheads on Facebook or Frober Films on Facebook. Yeah, what's the Twitter there. account that uh, Andy is running? Oh, Frober Films. Films on Twitter. Yeah, at Frober Films. That's, so that's good, probably that's the best a good way one. to keep up with us. When yeah, you're, yeah, but I'm sure when we actually get something going here, we'll announce it on there. Yeah, yeah, we just don't want to like we're, we're the guys like until we know we're absolutely like you know. Everything's locked and it's going to happen. We don't like to say, "Hey, it's happening." <laughs> you know, until, until Especially when you after you make a movie, you're beating the drum like, "We made a movie, everybody pay attention for like a year and a half." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you start to feel bad about beating the drum every like, you know, Facebook yeah. updates every other day. Yeah, so you just wait, you just wait until you're so like, wait "Hey, you have something. We shoot in 6 months." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Pierce Brothers for coming on the show. You can find out more about them and their latest work over at our website, projection-booth.com. Now we are back and we were talking about Deadheads. And it seems that between The Walking Dead and kind of a recent spate of movies, zombies have really come back into vogue in a big way. Maybe, you know, five more years than that. I really kind of want to talk to you, Jamie. You you literally wrote the book on zombies, the book of the dead, the complete history of zombie cinema. And that kind of stops in 2005 with land of the dead, uh, as you're going through, which I imagine was probably when the first edition of this book came out. Um, what do you think about the movies that have come out since then? Has there been kind of common themes that we've seen and, and why do you think that zombies are still so much in vogue? Wow. That's, um, uh, several questions there in one, I think, um, I, uh, the book you write came out in 2005 and um, Land of the Dead was the last thing that we included. And that seemed like a great cutoff point because that was, um, you know, while I was writing the book, I think I started it in about 2000. Um, when I started writing the book, everybody said to me, why on earth do you want to write a, a book about zombies? Nobody cares about zombies. Um, and then, of course, you know, 2001 or so, you know, you suddenly start getting 28 Days Later and um, the Resident Evil movie. And I think from that point on, there started to be this groundswell of interest in zombies at the start of the, the 2000s. So by the time the book came out in 2005, it was perfect timing. I seemed like a genius. You know, I was just like, this is just, <laughs> this is just complete fluke. You know, I was just writing a nerdy little book that I thought um, only about you know a handful of people like me would be interested in but suddenly um zombies found their pop cultural moment so it was um it was good timing um and we're updating the book the book's updated coming out later this year actually so i've spent the last um the last year or so just watching as many of the zombie movies as i can find that have come out in that time and you know there have been hundreds there have been more zombies movie movies made in that 
period between 2005 and 2014 um, than were made in the previous, you know, 70 years of kind of zombie movie history. It's just been insane. Um, I don't think there's a common theme between all of them at all. I mean, what's really interesting is just how radically different um, the zombie movies are that, that have come out since then. I think what has been one big theme that's been very interesting and that's happened is that um, traditionally zombies always used to be, you know, dead men walking. I mean, you know, the zombie story starts back in Haiti, um, but even before then, I guess you go back to West African religions. Um, Haiti in the, the 1930s, the Americans went into Haiti and discovered all these kind of um, zombie legends um, and then brought them back and, and Hollywood picked up on it. And so you got White Zombie, which was the first zombie movie in 1932. And all those early zombie movies were all about dead men walking and being dead and corpses and people coming back from the graveyard. But increasingly today, if you look at a zombie movie today, it's more likely to be some kind of viral infection or contagion or something else. So that's quite a big shift that's changed is that, you know, when we talk about the, the actual idea of the zombie, you know, the definition of a zombie um, is no longer about a corpse that's reanimated it's actually you know it can be about someone who is um, turned into this zombie-like monster because of a virus you know um, 28 days later and uh, world war z and all these things are, are kind of about that now it's no longer the hand bursting out up out of the graveyard um, in the classic kind of romero sense that it used to be so i think that's been a big shift that's happened um uh there have been some great movies you know in the last 10 years i mean if you look at stuff like uh I don't know, uh, The Battery, um, The Dead, Pontypool, Wreck, uh, um, The Crazies, the remake of The Crazies. I love that. I thought that was that was a really smart, smart kind of B-movie. Um, so there's been some great stuff, I think. Um, in terms of what's driving it, well, there's several things. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating if you look back on this and you see, well, when did the zombie boom start? Uh, and it started probably around 2001, you know, which is quite a historic kind of moment. And I, I think horror movies are always traditionally horror movies are always kind of a reflection of the fears of their times and um monsters kind of do that in a in a very good way i think and i think if you trace zombie movies throughout the the kind of years and it's you know it's easy to sell in the different decades and i mean that's a bit of a too neat a thing but certainly in the past you know in the early days there was a lot a lot of fear in zombie movies about race relations in the 1940s the kind of hollywood zombie movies were a lot to do with kind of black and white and different characters and haiti and you know civilization versus savagery and all of that kind of thing um and then later you know it changed and in the you know the classic romero zombie movie is is all very much about you know kind of in the shadow of vietnam and the sense of um fear of uh, kind of who who your neighbours, you know, Romero always says his, his zombies are the neighbours, you know, and that's that sense of kind of paranoia about um, social breakdown and stuff. And today, I mean, I, I think what's interesting with the, the change that's happened in zombies, if you're looking at 2001 and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe 9-11 had a big impact on this and, you know, you know, the world has changed a lot. That was a kind of pivotal moment. Certainly in zombie movies, it seems that zombies themselves have changed in, in a lot of ways. And I have this theory about, you know, the kind of fast running, fast moving, kind of completely unstoppable kind of zombies being a lot like kind of jihadists, you know, it's kind of like, yep, you can't reason with them, you can't placate them, you know, that sense of, of a contagion that spreads globally. I mean, that's very much what we're kind of worried about now, you know, the zombies are very much the first monsters of, of kind of globalization, I think. And that's that sense of threat of contagion and fear in a connected world is very much what's driving driving their resurgence what do you see as some of the the buckets over time i mean as you were saying the original horror films of the 30s the 40s and 50s by the time you get to romero romero's like yeah there's zombies but really it's a social commentary and in the modern you know over the last 
15 years, 20 years, you, you see a mix, right? As you were saying, you, you are seeing maybe some uh, mark back to the idea of jihadism possibly. But do you see other things in there as well in terms of you know commentary buckets or just people – having fun with this idea that basically maybe the zombie is sort of a blank slate that you can play with. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think what's great about zombies is they're so they're such a malleable monster, and you can kind of use use them for different purposes. You know, Romero's great thing about the kind of um, satire of consumerism and whatever in Dawn of the Dead and stuff like that is fantastic. I think um, what's what's interesting about the way that things are happening at the moment is that yes, they're very much they're a reflection. I think very much of real world fears. So if you look at the moment, okay, we have fears of terrorism. I mean, something like World War Z the um middle eastern section the jerusalem section in world war z i mean that was just kind of like wow okay there's not you know this isn't a very subtle commentary on kind of the world we live in now um you know for such a huge blockbuster movie um and then if you look at the financial crisis for instance um there was a great article in um slate saying uh thirsty the title of it was called thirsty all the lawyers and it was basically um saying i think there's a lot of truth in this that the resurgence of the zombie is a lot to do with middle class fears and the whole idea of the squeezed middle and uh middle class professionals feeling as though their skills maybe aren't that useful in a world that's changing a lot so yeah uh come the apocalypse who's going to be you know who's going to be most helpful to you the guy who can you know negotiate your contract for you or the guy who knows how to fix your car and if you look at the success of something like the walking dead the tv show it's very much a blue collar show you know it's very much about uh the kind of um the triumph of the working classes in in many ways the triumph of blue collar and the decline of kind of middle class values middle class abilities and i think a lot of what's fueling kind of the zombie boom is a lot of people feel very scared about what the future kind of um entails and what their role in the future is going to be and zombie movies are a great way to deal with those kind of anxieties and wrap them up in you know um a nice little monster movie so i think a lot of that is kind of bubbling under the surface of um of the zombie revival. So you're saying that the walking dead is about class warfare? Uh, no, less so. I think the walking, the walking dead makes a lot of audience think, uh, what would I do in this situation? If the apocalypse happened tomorrow, what would I do? And I mean, if I, you know, if I pose that question to myself, I, I would not last five minutes. You know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a writer who spends a lot of time sat at a desk. I have no useful skills in terms of fixing cars or, um, or making things or firing a gun. And I think what the walking dead does very well is take Americans back to uh, a kind of Western uh, mentality, a frontier mentality, where to, the, to, to have a, a sense of your own usefulness in society. And at the moment, we live in a society where, yes, you can be useful. You know, if you're a, a lawyer, you have a certain set of uses and you earn a lot of money. But we also live in a society where, you know, in the UK, a few years ago, when the financial crisis hit, we were a few hours from all the cash machines running dry. And so you're kind of like, okay, that's quite perilously close to the verge of kind of total social collapse and a bit of anarchy, you know. And people have seen this. People have seen Hurricane Katrina. People have seen the kind of um, devastation that um, uh, climate change is causing and that sense of, yeah, okay, the world we live in is quite precarious. And I think a lot of people have that in the back of their minds as something that they're, they're worried about and anxiety. And a good way to play out those kind of anxieties is to set them in a, in, a, in a movie, in a horror movie. Horror movies have always been good at that. So if you're looking at kind of apocalyptic movies, well, zombie movies are a pretty good thing. Yeah, because I was going to say in America, there's no such thing as classes. There's no class warfare. Maybe over in Europe, you know, there are social classes, but not in mm-hmm. America. No, well, not you have, at least. You have white <laughs> No. White cut. We are all treated equally over here. 
everything is fine. I'd imagine. Don't I'd imagine parts of question the status quo. Stay calm and keep <laughs> shopping. Right. <laughs> I'd imagine parts of Detroit look as though they could be the backdrop for uh, uh, a zombie apocalypse movie. No, and I mean, you know, that's. Well, speaking of which, there was a guy who wanted to open a zombie-related theme park in Detroit using a burned-out neighborhood. So maybe we'll wow. post that link up there so you can read that story. <laughs> yeah, I reread your book last summer, Jamie, in preparation of going to this thing called ZombieCon that happened here in the fall. Rob and I were invited to come over and be on a couple panels and just kind of take in this whole thing. And it was pretty funny um and a little sad to me because talking about this whole idea of you know what happens when the apocalypse comes and you know what are your skills and what weapons would you use to to fend off zombies and all this those were some of the questions that we actually got on this panel from people that i think were a little serious about it like they were the uh, correct me if i'm wrong rob but it felt like a couple of the folks that asked questions along those lines maybe were kind of planning on you know the zombie apocalypse happening any day now well, i know that there are various different places online that have uh, I, I think it's sort of a merging of sci-fi fans horror fans and survivalists and they've created sort of like how to survive a zombie apocalypse and things like that there's there was even it was a joke but i think this was a year or two ago the federal government it was uh, centers for disease control or something put out a web page on what to do in the event of uh, zombies attacking so you know, I, I think there's this fear um, that, that people may have because what it represents, as you were saying, the breakdown of society. And I think that maybe people can play this parlor game with themselves of, okay, um, we haven't had fighting on American soil since the 1860s, 150 years ago. But if there was, you know, looting and rioting and people getting shot in the street and all this stuff going on, how can I deal with it? But I don't want to think of it that way. I want to think of it from the aspect of something supernatural and beyond because the idea of sitting down and actually thinking about mass insurrection would just be too much for people to take. I think their heads would explode. It's a lot easier to think about shooting a zombie than shooting a looter. Exactly. Yeah, very true. And I think, you know, we live in a – our culture is an apocalypse culture now. You know, if it's not, if it's not you know, financial meltdown, if it's not Islamic terrorism, then it's climate change or whatever else you're – or, you know, global pandemic. You know, I think uh, as, a, as a species, we're suddenly highly attuned to the fact that, yeah, everything is, is very precarious. We live in this world that's completely networked where um, what happens, you know, halfway across the globe is actually going to affect – what's happening you know in michigan and it's just like that's quite a scary prospect you know the world the world has suddenly become a very big very complex system that is you know uh kind of too big to fail and if it did fail you know we're all absolutely um uh screwed so yeah you're right thinking of movies even like 12 monkeys or what was the the soderbergh contagion just that whole idea of how a disease spreads and how it networks across everything and seeing the maps of where uh, where the disease has come from and where it goes i mean even going back to the last um planet of the apes movie it's all about that whole idea of it spreading and how quickly things can spread across the world and yeah that plays right into this whole idea of the zombie stuff i mean you had recommended one to me jamie called wasted life um which is also known as ah zombies or something like that (laughs) (laughs) and uh 
that um you know the way that just so simply um you know people are are mixing um <laughs> what was it like this contaminated beer with ice cream with soft serve ice cream and they become zombies from that and just becomes this whole plague you know wonderful kind of stuff and again that kind of goes from the zombies point of view like very much literally in that one, which I really appreciated seeing, you know, the, the shift in the color, the black and white, and the, the way that zombies perceive the world and the world perceives zombies. But I do like how it kind of starts with that whole idea of how quickly these things can spread and how quickly things break down in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the great example, the reason, the reason why World War Z, I think, did such great business is because that's exactly what it was tapping into. You know, that was the first blockbuster zombie movie um, in many ways. And also it was the first kind of global kind of zombie movie you know normally zombie movies you're like oh yes it's happening everywhere and there'll be a bit on tv to show you that it's also happening in france or whatever but this was the movie that went yeah okay we're glow popping you know we're globe chopping we're going here to israel to um, wherever they went north korea everywhere and we're going to show you you know that this is now a global thing and i think what captured so many people's imaginations in the movie and of course also in um, max brooks's book was was that sense of of kind of um seeing a, a globe this seeing zombies is a global pandemic which um no other movie before has kind of had the scope to do that one of the things that i was thinking about in terms of the commentary angle and we discussed this in the first part of the the show related to deadheads is the possibility of the one character being able to understand the plight of the zombies because they are the outsiders and most of the films up until recent uh, I would say even uh, – Mike, you talked a little bit about with Day of the Dead. I think it's more specific in Land of the Dead um, is that zombies are always this thing to fight against and they're kind of a faceless horde of stuff. And now it seems that maybe over the last – I guess what Day of the Dead was 83, so 30 years, uh, Land of the Dead uh, 10, 15 years ago, that we're starting to see this turn where we're starting to understand – what either make zombies or how being a zombie is and kind of where that places in terms of the commentary um, underclass uh, in America, maybe even the idea of illegal immigration or something, you know, like, like coming to an understanding of what it, what it means to be outside of society and having to deal with that. How, how do you sort of see this take of looking at the world through the zombie perspective? I actually have a problem with that. I have to say, um, I'm quite a purist when it comes to zombies. I'm worried that this whole um, uh, perspective thing, I mean, if you follow it through, then you start off with interesting movies like um, uh, Deadheads. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen a British movie called Colin. It was really low budget. It was made for like $100 or something. It showed at Fright Fest over here um, a few years ago. And that's also, again, another movie just following this zombie called Colin around London as it's kind of, you know, turns into zombie central. But the problem is, once you start going down this road, then what you end up with is Warm Bodies, which is a movie that I absolutely hate um, with a passion. Um, and what I see that as being, as it's kind of like the commercialization of, of zombie movies um, in a way that the more you show the zombies perspective, the more, the less you make them dead, the more you kind of make them, you know, infected and sympathetic and all of that, the more you kind of are trying to convince the audience that, you know, oh, zombies are really quite nice underneath, you know, all they need is a good hug um, or, you know, <laughs> um, a good kiss in, in warm bodies. And what, what I'm, what interests me quite a lot and what I feel a bit of distaste for is the fact that um, zombies used to be, zombie movies used to be like punk rock, yeah, there was something that was very small and niche and um, 
very edgy and now they seem to be being merchandised and commercialized to hell and back really um and that is purely because you know people have noticed producers have noticed oh zombies yeah people are interested in zombies right let's keep making these zombie movies and then well let's make the 12a zombie movie you know let's make the um uh, what would that be for you guys pg-13 the pg-13 zombie movie where you guys can you know where everybody can come and see <laughs> a zombie movie um and i worry that that might be you know uh over commercializing things however i have to hold my hands up and say i'm currently writing a, uh, i got hired to write a kid's zombie movie so you know it, this may be a um a case of me um speaking out of turn. <laughs> jamie you're part of, part of the problem and not part be. of the solution aren't we all though <laughs> <laughs> no you're right i mean even you could say frankenweenie what is a zombie film it's all about bringing corpses back from the dead you know, it's it's kind of a Frankenstein story, but not really because it's not like uh, they're taking pieces from other bodies. It's pretty much just corpse reanimation and the problems that go from that. So there you go with a you know kids movie. I mean, even possibly you know like a Paranorman. Some of these other films are very you know zombified and everything. So yeah, it's it we are marketing zombies to kids even these days. And you're right, they have kind of lost that niche appeal, that whole idea of, you know, did you see that really cool Spanish zombie film? Did you see Tombs of the Blind Dead? Did you see Lucio Fulci's zombie? All these kind of things. And now it's like, you know, oh, what, what's the new zombie movie opening at the multiplex this week? <laughs> it's it's one of those characters, though, like I was saying, um, and we discussed, is that people can kind of work with it in various different ways. And I know that there are you know, certain things that people, and we talked about this with the Pierce brothers where, you know, oh, well, it isn't like this. So therefore it's not a real zombie film because, you know, you didn't follow the, the dogma of, you know, what the great church of zombie filmmaking is. But I, I really like sort of how, unlike maybe vampires or some other, maybe werewolves or something like that, there, there seems to be a certain mode in which those are done and someone really hasn't come along and sort of subverted it so much that you can not only have them being this sort of faceless horde that represents something but they can also be taken from the perspective of what is it like to be that and not only that but maybe what that means in terms of a social commentary so i i I kind of like where where things have been going you know i mean granted there's there's going to be oversteps and especially when something makes a lot of money you're going to have the hollywood types come in and say oh of course we can you know make it for ages 4 and up so it's <laughs> and for grandma too but i i really like sort of this blending idea of of what you can do with this character and and i i find that really interesting yeah i found it funny jamie hearing you talk about um world war z and all the places that the events take place, all the places where Brad Pitt is going in this film, so many of them are hot spots for you know the zombie disease, but they're also also hot spots as far as global conflict goes. You know the whole idea of you know going to Israel, going here, going there, and it, what's funny is that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say that the original version of the film, because they changed the entire third act before it was released, that a lot of that stuff took place in Russia, which is another you know historically famous place where Americans you know cast a lot of their fears upon. Yeah, I believe there was like a big battle sequence in Red Square or something. I think, you know, Moscow was a was a big part of this, which, you know, increasingly, you know, given current events, um, increasingly, as you say, you know, hotspots around the world, um, somewhere quite interesting in terms of global conflict. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, I I had problem, a lot of problems with World War Z, 
um, in terms of what it represented. However, what I thought it did do very well was something that only a blockbuster zombie movie could do, which was to give you that sense of, of a very global perspective. Um, and no other movie has done that in quite such a way, but you know, no other movie, no other zombie movie has cost as much money either. So that the, those the two things may be linked, which is kind of what I like the most about the uh, remake of Day of the Dead is that opening credit sequence where you. F- really feel society breaking down and having that whole montage set to the Johnny Cash song and seeing the news events and just the quick cuts of everything. And that just that opening scene, just that opening credits, I should say, just gives you such a encapsulated view of this is the world breaking down just within a few minutes that you don't necessarily need to see it across the world. But that was nice with World War Z that you did see it everywhere, though it felt a little disingenuous the way that, you know, Brad Pitt was able to fly in and fly out and, you know, just always narrowly escaping, able to survive plane crashes, whatever it was. He was pretty indestructible. <laughs> Well, he's Brad Pitt, though, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> he is Brad Pitt, so he can do whatever the hell he wants. I tell you what, the moment we see the sympathetic zombie movie end up with it being Brad Pitt who's the zombie, then I think we'll know that we've kind of jumped the shark. <laughs> <laughs> I thought in Zombie World it wasn't jumping the shark; it was horse zombies from Survival of the Dead. <laughs> well, Zombieland, of course, Zombieland had the Bill Murray. Um, Bill Murray as a zombie. Yeah, Bill Murray as a zombie. It's okay. Yeah, which you know, I just thought was genius. But um, yeah, maybe we should draw up a list of people who we'd like to see play zombies in movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll remake Warm Bodies in a few years with uh, Brad and, and Angelina. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. <laughs> there you go. That would just make your day. I know it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I have a I have a raging hatred for that movie. I really do. <laughs> that's maybe that's maybe a, a conversation for another time. I'm curious, have you ever seen Jovana Vukovic's Book of Zombies? Uh, I have seen it. I haven't read it. I have seen it. Um, I I know I know who she is. Um, I saw her short film actually, which was a wonderful short film she did. But um, I haven't read her book. No, it was an illustrated history, wasn't it, of zombies? Yes. As I read it, I kept thinking to myself, didn't I just read this in Jamie's book? It's almost like the Cliff's Notes version of your book. Uh, well, the thing is, you know, there's been a lot of people have written, um, zombie, you know, one of the signs of how su- how successful the zombie genre has become, I think, is how many people have written books. Because when I started Book of the Dead, there wasn't there wasn't anything, which was actually the reason why I wrote the book was because I was like, oh, I'd really like to know more about zombie movies and, you know, why I personally find them really quite disturbing and scary. Um, And um, I'll go and find a book about it. And I was like, oh, no one's written this book. And when I was writing, um, Peter Dendle, who is um, uh, an academic, he teaches at um, university in the States. I'm not sure where, but he's written a two volume encyclopedia, a zombie movie encyclopedia, which is fantastic. It's like so um detailed in terms of you know um he just covers everything um and that for me that's my bible you know i'm just like wow this guy is great so you know the thing thing with all these things is everybody's um uh as as it's grown um everybody has found their own little niches of different ways to do things you know encyclopedia is different from mine mine's kind of like an overview and encyclopedia is a different way and illustrated history is different from mine one of the things i i really 
regret not being able to do when i did the first edition of book of the dead i thought ah when we do a second edition it will be really interesting to not just make it the complete history of zombie cinema but to do zombies across all media let's have zombie video games zombie comics zombie novels in 2005 that seemed like it might be possible but <laughs> come to come to read to doing the update of the book in like um i think i started it in 2012 i was like yeah i could spend the rest of my life trying to do this and it still wouldn't be finished i mean there's been just so many zombie novels and comics and video games and and everything you it would be that would just be an amazing book if someone could could collate all of this stuff together i think you'd need to you'd need to edit it and have like about 20 different writers or something each doing a different chapter you know a history of um, zombies in video games the histories of zombies in comics that would be a good book actually yeah i just picture looking like the encyclopedia britannica you have to have (laughs) 20 different volumes of it that would be crazy yeah Yeah, no that would be good but it would be that would be the definitive book of um book of zombies i think i'm lucky mine mine says at the bottom the complete history of zombie cinema and even then you know people are like oh yeah but you didn't mention this movie you know this isn't complete at all but um yeah but to imagine doing that across zombies across all media that would be incredible because what one of the fascinating things about zombies is they're such a great transmedia kind of monster you know i know that's a horrible word but it's like they work in video games you know if you look at video games now zombies are everywhere you look in comics zombies are everywhere you look in novels you know um young adult novels zombies are everywhere it's just like they've taken over everything really amazing it'd be like the oed it would be like the oxford english dictionary of you know, in multi-volumes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you just have to keep updating it. You know, I mean, I, I sent my um, update for this book off to the publisher a couple of months ago. And, you know, I checked up on how many zombie movies have been released since then. And it's just, I was just wanting to cry. You know, it's just like, wow. <laughs> it's just impossible to keep up with. You know, people can buy it and then you just mail them the next, you know, <laughs> yes. updates. It's like, you know, each month you'll get a new volume of the book, you know, it's like a time life series when we were kids here in America, you know, it's like in each month you'll get a new volume of, you know, zombie cinema just for you with the latest updates. Should maybe just do it as an ebook, and it can just constantly down. Every time you log on, it will download a new, you know, another twenty pages. <laughs> so I have one more question. As far as you had talked about the way that zombies are kind of a transmedia uh, phenomenon, the thing that I find interesting is how they are a transnational uh, phenomenon as well. I'm. Uh, I've read in your book, of course, uh, about the the Italian zombies, the Spanish version of them, a little bit about the Japanese version. Do you see different cultures kind of casting different things onto their zombies specifically, or is it kind of all coming from a, a base of one place and then it just kind of translates internationally? I think um – I think it's both. I think they come from a base of one place. And I think increasingly um, what people in other countries do is go, OK, well, what's the su- what's the successful template for a zombie movie? OK, it's a comedy. So, we'll, you know, it'll be Shaun of the Dead, but it will be our version of that. But then what's interesting, what makes them so um, kind of local, if you will, it will, is that they then feed in like lots of stuff that maybe only the audience at home would get. You know, lots of jokes that only like um, I don't know if you've seen One of the Dead, the Cuban zombie movie. That's great fun. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there that's very much about Cuba and very much about, you know, the political system there and, and everything and how it, you know, related to the United States and everything. So 
and yet it's within you know what you would go anyone could watch and go oh this is just a zombie movie yeah okay i understand how this works i understand the rules but then just the the deeper scratch beneath the surface and you get an interesting local flavor and layer of just slightly different things so and i think that's true that goes you know um greek zombie movies you know israeli zombie movies um yeah there's barely a country i think that hasn't made a zombie movie so we'll have to see Ironically, the only country that hasn't made a zombie movie, Zombieland. Uh, Why do they? Oh, <laughs> it would be a documentary, I guess. I don't know. How, how about the uh, the current UK zombie films? Because I know, obviously, Shaun of the Dead is one of the biggest marks as far as zombie films go. But how about something like a Stalled or are there other UK zombie films that are coming out, or are you guys pretty light in the market? Um, no, there's been quite a few. One of my favorites, actually, was a movie from a couple of years ago called The Dead. I don't know if you saw that, which ironically is a British movie, but they shot it in West Africa. Um, and it's a, a, a West African zombie apocalypse movie with this guy um, teaming up with a member of the local army to drive across um, drive across West Africa as the zombie outbreak hits the world. But what's what's thrilling about it is it's shot by these two British directors um, who'd come from commercials. They have a brilliant visual sense and they also are very old school in their zombies. So it feels very much like a Fulci style zombie movie. Um, lovely kind of panoramic vistas, um, really, uh, really open and then just dotted around with these zombies um and it, it kind of takes us back you know i mean what's lovely about it is it takes us back to the very origin of the zombie myth which of course started in west africa so you know you have all these west african extras stumbling around um pretending to be ghouls and it's 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 really creepy it's really scary it's something about i don't know i'm quite used now to seeing kind of urban zombie movies um that happen in you know big metropolis or whatever but seeing this kind of zombie thing out in the the jungles and the kind of savannas and whatever it's yeah it's creepy we're gonna take a break and play a preview for next week's show Millennium, vampires no longer fear the sun. Now they're going to learn. It's time to fear the Son of God! Dead outnumber the living. Even the Messiah needs a little help. Phil Caracas is Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. That's right, we'll be back next week with a discussion of another low-budget indie film. Just in time for Easter, we'll be talking about everybody's favorite zombie, Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. We'll also dive into the other films by Lee Denbarb, such as the films of the Harry Knuckles series. Do not miss it. Before we go, we want to thank this week's guest co-host, Jamie Russell, for coming on the show. So, Jamie, where can folks go to keep up with you and see the announcement for when the new version of the Book of the Dead will be out? Uh, I have a website, which is um, jamierussell, all one word, .co.uk. And um, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as jamierussell74. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to link over to those for you, sir. Thank you. 
<laughs> no, thank you, sir. <laughs> and also thanks to the Pierce brothers for coming on and talking about deadheads and all things zombies. And also thank you for listening. my hand in friendship and you slap it away. Get his finger out of my face. You want a bite? Zombie a little hungry? Zombie want a little something something? I said get his finger out of my face! <laughs>